Welcome to episode 235 of The Art of Living Proactively. In this episode, endodontist Dr. Sonia Chopra discusses dental health and root canals. She explains that endodontists specialize in root canals and saving teeth, while most general dentists only receive minimal root canal training. And root canals become necessary when bacteria infects the tooth, nerves, food, cavities, cracks, trauma, and so on. And she debunks the myths that root canals are toxic or ineffective, explaining that when they're done properly, they allow natural bone regeneration. So we go into a lot more areas around sort of dental checkups and how to catch issues early and other areas around being proactive with your oral dental health. So that's this week, episode 235. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please do subscribe, leave us a review. And here's Dr. Sonia Chopra. Welcome to another edition of The Art of Living Proactively. My guest today is Dr. Sonia Chopra. How are you doing, Sonia? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me today. And we're speaking with a, a New Yorker who's relocated to North Carolina. That's exactly right. So which do you prefer, New York or North Carolina? You know, you just can't get the New York out of me, that's for sure. So that that's really like my home base. And eventually I'll become a little bit more country. But <laughs> I think my core is will always be New York. Well, you're, um, I was fascinated by your description because I'm going to read it out here. Sonia Chopra, DDS, is a healer and tooth saver. She's a board certified endontist, endodontist, sorry, TEDx speaker, Forbes contributor, author, endodontic instructor, and founder of Valentine Endodontics in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, I have no idea what an endodontist is. I, I presume it's similar to dentistry in some way, but Please tell me more. Yeah, I'm a root canal specialist. So right. I do whatever it takes to save people's teeth. I, I really believe that these little white temples that we have in our mouth are, are here for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I've made it my mission to, to be a tooth healer. And so how did that come about? So I had my own tooth story as a young young girl when I was 17 um well I was born without 18 so I was kind of always born to be a dentist I was always a dental patient and when I was 17 I developed a really bad toothache and I went to several different dentists and doctors and they couldn't really figure out where my pain was coming from and it, the saga went on for about nine months and so it really had an impact on me at that time in my life I was I was in a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, a lot of lack of sleep, and it, it changed me. And I went from dentist to dentist, and they really couldn't find what was happening to me. And then eventually, I had this giant abscess that had to be treated. I was sent to an oral surgeon. They extracted a tooth. I felt good for the time being because I was numb. But then once the anesthesia wore off, um, I still had my toothache. So the wrong tooth came out. So now I'm left without nine teeth. And that really... That really hit me hard. And then I was finally referred to an endodontist. And that guy was the coolest guy I had ever met. He had this long ponytail. He was like this little surfer dude. And he had the best bedside manner I had ever witnessed. And he told me what to, how to really acknowledge the, the signs and the symptoms that my body was giving me and made me feel like I was okay, made me trust those signs. 
And uh, because a lot of times people were telling me all my pain was in my head. They told me I was crazy and and I knew what I was feeling, but I lost trust in that. And this guy restored that trust. And that was a huge experience for me. He alleviated my pain. He saved my tooth and sent me a long way away. And medicine was really um, a big like, piece of my life because my mom's a physician. My brother's a physician. So I always knew I was going to go down that path. But I didn't really want that lifestyle of being on call and stuff like that. Like my mom had. She would always miss my dance recitals. And so I knew I wanted something different where I had a little bit more um, control over my schedule. And so I looked around at the dentists that were, you know, around me and I felt like that was really where I should be, not just from, you know, a lifestyle perspective, but also from the patient perspective. I really could empathize with my patients because I've been through every dental procedure possible. So when I went to dental school, I finally got in and, um, while I was there, I was really intrigued with my own tooth story. It just kept on coming up every time I would study. I'm like, why did this happen to me? And I just kept on studying endodontics. And then I gave general dentistry a chance, but I decided after about three years of being a general dentist that really endodontics was my one true love. And I went back to school. I completed a residency and became an endodontist. So from what yeah, from what I heard, heard you just say, so endodontistry is, is just specializing in root canals or is there more to it than that? Basically, it's just root canals or another procedure called apicolectomies. So root canals have a really high success rate, but there are some things that will prevent the root canal from being uh, 100% successful. So there's also a surgical procedure that goes with it, uh, which is called the apicolectomy, which you kind of remove the back end of the root. As opposed to going through the crown, you go in from the back of the roof. Um, so those are typically the two procedures that an endodontist will do. But don't many dentists do root canals as well? You can definitely see your general dentist for a root canal, but we're a specialist and we go to an additional two years of school. So we have to, when we graduate, we do about 250 root canals um, to make that accreditation. But in dental school, you well, it depends on the school. Sometimes you only have to do two or four. And and really, in my opinion, it's it's a little bit technique sensitive that there's definitely some teeth that are pretty straightforward and can be done, you know, very easily. But there are some complex root canals as well that do require a specialty trained uh, dentist. And you mentioned about the this guy that you saw who was just so different from other people you saw and he had in your words, an amazing bedside manner. So was that part of the, your, what you learned when you, when you did the extra, extra years as well? No, <laughs> you never learn that. That just comes from, you know, kind of curating your own personality, right? Um, and your own life experiences. His patience was amazing. His, I just loved what my favorite part was how he educated me through every step of the way. And since that point, like that has what I wanted to emulate. And that's what I brought into my practice. But I had, I believe I had to have that experience to really appreciate that and know that that's how I wanted to live my life. I, I saw a dentist a few years ago here in England. And my whole life, my experience of dentists, like many people, is kind of fear there's going to be some pain, it's going to hurt and so on. And this guy, and I've stayed with him ever since, probably about five or six years now, 
couldn't believe it in everything that he did and in all the times I've seen him since because he he had to remove a tooth he had to remove a crown and replace some some fillings that I'd had as a kid and in all the things that he did he replaced all these fillings took all the mercury out and all that sort of stuff I didn't feel a thing it was amazing he was just so unlike any dentist that I'd, I'd ever been to before he's good at giving anesthesia that means this really dentistry does not have to be painful it is all about giving good, adequate anesthesia. I mean, I do root canals and I do about nine or 10 a day. And you just need to have a deeper level of anesthesia. And this is all local anesthesia. It's not general anesthesia, it's just local anesthesia. But you have to have a good level of anesthesia. Everybody's going to be different and you have to know how to gauge from person to person and know, know what that particular person needs. So why would, or why do people require root canals? What happens? So essentially bacteria gets into the nerve. And this can happen from a cavity. You know, a lot of people feel like you need pain to need to go to the dentist, which is, unfortunately, if you need pain, you kind of, or if you have had pain, you are past that point of no return where you probably need to see me. So I can be very preventable, right? So deep decay, which is bacteria, can definitely introduce bacteria into the inside part of the tooth called the pulse. And that's one reason. Another reason could be trauma. Um, a lot of times just from the tra traumatic blow to a, a front tooth, that can kill the nerve and then need my assistance. And also people crack their teeth. We clench, we grind, we are stressed out, and we put a lot of force on our muscles and and then we crack our teeth. And those cracks become doorways for bacteria to get in. And then again, the nerve gets in infected. So always bacterial. And we got to get that bacteria out. And that's what the root canal does. And so would, if someone is a mouth breather, would they be more likely to have bad bacteria? I don't know if that's really the case. So just for full clarity, like I'm an endodontist, right? So my specialty is root canal therapy. Um, not really airway management, but you can definitely dry out your mouth a little bit more uh, when you're a mouth breather. Um, but everybody's bacteria is different. That's really the thing. And you need to know what kind of microbiome you have, what kind of oral microbiome you have. Do you right. have one that's karyogenic? Because I know so many people, including my parents, that have never had a cavity. But when I went to the dentist, I had eight. <laughs> So some people have karyogenic bacteria where the bugs in their mouth actually cause decay. Other people have more of the periodontal uh, bacteria, which cause the, the gum disease and the bone loss and, and no decay. So everyone is going to be unique. And so we need to understand our own mouths and come up with customized treatment plans. And so is, the, is this a, a problem many people, well, from what you were saying before about people tend to leave it too late, I'm guessing, well, actually, I can give you a story because I had a root canal many years ago in my late 20s. I was living in Indonesia and I happened to go along to a dentist for a checkup and I hadn't been to a dentist for years. And I don't know why I went for checkups. I wasn't in any pain. However, I went for this checkup and then this dentist told me, you've got an impacted wisdom tooth. And the, the nerve is inside your, your root canal. I think, no, inside the nerve, that was it. 
No, sorry, the nerve of the tooth was inside a root canal. I, f- I forget exactly what he said. Maybe your wisdom tooth was growing close to your nerve? It was, it was not, I think it was growing inside the nerve or something. Anyway, he said, you need an emergency operation. I said, well, how bad is it? He said, well, if we wait another week, I'm going to have to break your jaw to do this. It's like, this is an oh. emergency. And at the time, I didn't feel anything. And so they did the operation and I, I actually had two impacted teeth on both sides. Okay. And, and then there was a big hole there from where they, you know, from the, oh, there was an abscess there as well. I think that was it. And it's, my mouth is still numb decades later. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had an extraction, which is a tooth removal, which is the opposite of what I do. So okay. I save the teeth to preserve what mama gave you and instead of removing. So it sounds like you had a wisdom tooth removal, yeah, which is completely I, different than the root canal. And I presume he wasn't an endodontist. He was just a, a dentist. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. It would be easy for me to... And I can imagine your story many different ways because I don't, I'm I'm trying to think that maybe you didn't actually have a root canal in this story. It sounds like you just had the extraction. I I can't remember because it was so long ago, but I do remember there was something about the impacted wisdom tooth was growing into. So there's a nerve that travels this way. And a lot of times impacted wisdom teeth can be in close proximity to that nerve. And as the tooth develops, it can actually approach the nerve and make that extraction dangerous where you do have paresthesia and numbness. But again, just a completely different procedure than the root canal. Well, and the only reason I mentioned it really is because, as I said, I, I didn't have any pain. And, it, yeah. and he said, well, if you leave this another week, you're going to have some serious pain. So ah, I was yeah. just very lucky. So yeah. is that a common situation? Do many people have sort of things like that? Um, well, your checkups are really important because that's where we find things, especially mm. like little decay in between the teeth where you can't see. There's a lot of things you can't see without imaging. And now we're finding that imaging, the regular imaging is also limiting. And now there's 3D imaging, which is even more advanced. Um, but yes, we find things all the time, especially in impacted wisdom teeth um, that don't cause pain. I see root canal infections that have been living, like hanging out in people's mouths for years and they've never had pain. And it sometimes doesn't show up on the traditional 2D x-rays that everyone has, but then you take a 3D image and you find that bone infection. And then once you do the root canal and you remove all the bacteria, then that bone actually regenerates, which is probably the fullest part of my job is how well we can regenerate our own bone. Without any grafting, without any synthetic bone, we recreate our own bone. I think that's one of the coolest superpowers that humans have. Because you refer sometimes to root canals as a form of biohacking, don't you? It sure is, because we can regenerate our own bone. And there's so many, I think, dangerous myths out there that people really believe And, you know, this is a perfect example. I'm glad you gave the story, right? Because you think that it's a root canal, right? So, but your perception of the story is yours, right? But maybe what actually happened at the dentist's office is is different. And I think that can play in the role of why like root canals have kind of delivered to the, to society in such a negative way. Cause 
people have had bad experiences. Maybe they didn't get numb, right? You're so lucky that a dentist that actually gives you good anesthesia. There are some cases where patients didn't get adequately numb. Um, and so that kind of plays into that fear and whatnot. But then there's this whole other layer that root canals are toxic, but they're not because if they were, they wouldn't create this bone regeneration that I see time and time again. You'll see these like shadows in the bone on the x-ray. And then once you do the root canal and you wait, you give the bone time to heal because bone is super slow. So it's going to take six months minimum to show up as if it's regenerating and redepositing on the, on the imaging. So I usually wait about a year, call my patients back after I'm doing their root canal and I watch how beautifully restored their bone becomes. It is, it's, it's insane actually when you see how much, like some areas are huge. They've lost so much bone and people look at it. Even the provider will be like, that's, that is too much bone to have lost. This tooth has to come out. But no, when you give teeth a chance and you actually do the procedure and the way it's meant to be done, you can regenerate people with what they were given naturally and you don't have to give them anything, anything else. You don't have to take supplements. You don't have to get injections. You, you can just let the bone grow naturally. So you mentioned there about the importance of checkups. So is it a case of you've got relationships with certain dentists and when they have their checkup, when their patients come in for checkups, and then if they feel someone does need a root canal, then they refer them to you. Is that, is that what would generally happen? Correct. Typically, um, most dental specialists are like a referral-based practice. So we work with certain um, certain dentists <laughs> and then they, they will refer us patients. Yeah. Is there any cases where maybe they, they don't need a root canal? Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you, I've been tracking in my practice how many patients get referred to me. 25% of patients referred to me actually don't need me. Sometimes, you know, they recently had a crown and their tooth is now a little bit sensitive because usually the signs when you need a root canal are sensitivity to cold that lingers. So not something that like goes away in a few seconds, but it actually lasts longer than 30 seconds. That's one sign that you could need a root canal or pain to heat or pain to biting. Those are the three main symptoms. It's hot, cold, and biting. But sometimes after you get like a crown, right? Just getting a cap on the tooth and the anesthesia wears off, you'll have a little bit of normal post-operative sensitivity. And sometimes that can be pretty high for some people. And the patient will bring it bring that symptom up to their dentist's attention and then the referral will be made. Sometimes time is a great medicine. Just give that patient a little bit of time, maybe one week, two weeks after that crown is done and then all those symptoms reverse. So it's really important to understand the diagnostic phase. And I'm very sensitive to that because the wrong tooth got diagnosed on me and the wrong tooth got extracted. And so that's really my my like my niche within my own niche is the diagnostic part. You've got to get the diagnosis right so that you know it's it's like the quarterback for every part of your procedure. And 25% of the time, I'm not doing the root canal. So you meant, I think you alluded to myths just then. Are there, are there any other myths on root canals and so on? So the main one is that some people do believe that they're toxic. Um, some people do believe that they don't work. And I will say that there is a difference between a good root canal and a bad root canal. 
And it comes down to the education. Yeah, we only get about two weeks of an endodontic education in the four years of dental school. And I hope that one day that that changes, but it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. So I give the analogy, if somebody delivered two babies in med school, would you let them deliver your baby? Or would you want them to do a little bit more continuing education? Same thing with the root canals, just as technique sensitive, if you ask me. Maybe even a little bit more because we're working in a teeny tiny hole and in millimeters. So there's a lot of, um, you know, precision that that's required. Um, that's one thing. Another thing is, you know, mainly in the, in the dental world, when I lecture to dentists, they have a lot of beliefs that a lot of teeth are cracked and they're not really cracked. It's just, you have to go back in and re-clean the tooth. And it's okay to, to reclaim the tooth. It's okay to do a revision of a treatment. Just because a root canal didn't work once doesn't mean that another one isn't going to work. Nothing is a hundred percent in medicine. I, you know, I see the orthopedic surgeons all the time having to revise knee replacements, but nobody is saying that that knee replacement is toxic. It just needs a revision. Sometimes it's because of the host response. Sometimes, you know, um, the procedure itself just needed a little bit more. So I would love people, I would love to encourage more people to try to save their natural teeth instead of just rushing for the extraction. Yes, implants are a great replacement option, but they're also not a hundred percent. And that implant can fail. And then what happens when the implant fails? Then what? Then you're left with the missing space. And sometimes that can be aesthetic and annoy you. But what and also can decrease your function. And now you're, you're messing with your nutrition and your hydration. And that has a, a ripple effect. So really understanding how we're moving one tooth or just having a deeper appreciation for that one tooth. And it may be in the back, but it has such an impact on how you nourish your body, hydrate your body, and even take in breath. Those teeth are there to house your tongue, to maintain your airway. There's so much more importance in them than I feel like sometimes we give it. You know, it's just easy to take out a tooth because we have 32 of them, yet we don't chop off our fingers when we infect one of them, right? So just treating the teeth with the same amount of respect and really knowing that sometimes we can try again and and probably fix it. You touched upon education just now of sort of general dentists and you also talked about nutrition i just wondered what your thoughts are regarding nutrition and how you know people how that affects our our mouths and teeth and so on yeah actually if you look at you know just how we've evolved as a species and our diets and how nowadays our diets are a lot softer than they used to be we now have the ability to cook foods. We have processed foods. There's so many things that have impacted our teeth. And the main thing is really soft food. But we, we need to eat crunchy things to keep a patent airway, to make sure the oral pharynx doesn't get lazy, to make sure like our muscles are moving. Because again, we want to, we want a broader airway and not a collapsed one. And it's the more, we eat that's mushy, even though an avocado may be healthy. When you mash it up, it's really soft and our teeth want something crunchy to go along with it. Um, that's really the best way to really, in my opinion, to, 
to stay healthy is to really have like a, a good, I don't know if the word is fibrous, but just something where you've got something to crunch on to really give these teeth some function. So what do you think of, you know, you get these sort of special types of gum now to, that you're encouraged to chew on <laughs> to strengthen the, the jaw? Yeah, I haven't gone down the chewing gum path, so I don't know if I know enough about that topic. <laughs> Just make sure it's sugar-free. I, you know, we don't want to be introducing too many sweets too frequently in our mouth because when we do that, every time we introduce some sugar into our mouth, we're going to drop the pH in our mouth. And when we do that at an increased frequency, we're going to have a chance of having more decay and, and bacteria in, in the mouth. And is, um, many people, well, I don't know the percentage stats. I'm guessing you'd have a much better idea than I do, but I would presume that many people now have an electric toothbrush. Is there a, a wrong way of using an electric toothbrush? Well, the electric toothbrush is going to do the work for you. And so you don't need to be heavy handed or really move it. So if you're using something like a Sonicare, which just happens to be my favorite, that sonic action actually has purpose. And that's what's actually going to be lysing the bacterial cell walls of, you know, of those bugs. And so allow it to do its thing. You don't have to press hard. You don't have to stroke it too much. Just allow that vibration to do its thing. And that way you're, you're not just brushing your teeth, but you're also being gentle to your gums to prevent things like recession. So you don't need to be moving it up and down. It just does that. Yeah, you just kind of slowly move it for quadrant by quadrant, wait for the beep, and then switch your quadrant. It, it's, they really made it easy for us. <laughs> and, what, and what are your thoughts on sort of toothpaste and mouthwashes and so on? I'm, it, it, it's going to depend on, again, your own personal microbiome. Because some people are going to need fluoride, and some people probably don't need it because they don't really tend to get cavities. But people who do would benefit from some fluoride, even though, again, there's some controversy behind fluoride. Um, so really get to know your mouth. I don't know if there's any one brand that's better than the other. Um, there's probably always something in the toothpaste um, that could be you know, controversially good or bad. I would say mouthwash is probably something you don't want to make it too much of a habit on because then you're kind of wiping out all of the bugs and you need your bugs. You don't want to get rid of them. So the blue stuff is probably not my favorite. Um, I have, I'm a typical crest girl because <laughs> it's what's worked for me in my mouth. But I think more importantly, over toothpaste or mouthwash is my favorite floss. I always say flossing is life <laughs> because that's where the bugs are hiding. Your toothbrush can't get in that little click spot and that's the spot where the bugs like to start the decay and those are the ones that you can't see and then you don't know you have a problem until you feel the pain so the best way to get rid of me is to floss every day i know so it is would you say many of the problems that people have with their teeth is because of lack of floss I can definitely tell when people are not flossing. And I would say a whole lot is preventable when you do floss. And it's it's way cheaper than going to the dentist. That little school um, 
off the run <laughs> is so much cheaper than coming to see me. So if you really want to be economical and you really want to um, instill great daily habits, I know we're, we're all about those morning habits, daily habits, flossing should be added to that list. Well, I mean, this podcast is all about being proactive around health. So it sounds like flossing is definitely something that should be proactive about. What other, are there any other proactive habits that would help people? Yeah. So definitely brushing twice a day. Okay. And it's so important to not skip that nighttime brush because that's when most of the habit happens. Because we may breathe through our mouth more. We may, you know, our mouths dry out. We lose that salivary buffer. Saliva is very, very, very important to diminishing decay in the mouth and saliva function drops at night. So making sure you're breaking up the bacterial colonies before you go to bed is super important. That's also when I like to floss. I like to floss at the end of my day. Sometimes I do it multiple times a day, but I will always be religious about my nighttime thoughts. So that's step one. Number two is always going to the dentist, even when you don't have pain. So making sure you're diligent about your twice a year cleanings. Because the plaque and, and that buildup will really accumulate over time. You know, actually, as soon as you're done brushing your teeth, the bacteria starts colonizing within one minute. Okay? So if it accumulates for six months, Sometimes your brushing and your flossing can't get to certain deeper parts and some damage could be happening because these bugs are very smart. They do their job silently because they're creating a happy home and they don't want anyone to take care of their, take away their home. So they're going to do everything silently. So not only are you going to get your checkups, but you should not dismiss imaging because a lot of the decay can be in between the teeth. And nowadays with digital radiography, it's there's very minimal radiation. You actually get more radiation flying from New York to California. So don't say no to your x-rays either. Um, and be mindful that in the US, sometimes the insurance companies will only pay for a certain amount of x-rays. So sometimes there are going to be times where you're going to want to invest a little bit into some additional x-rays and make sure there's, there's nothing hiding because we cannot see anything without them. So brushing twice a day, flossing once a day, regular checkups, and then being mindful of symptoms. If you feel like you had something, like maybe you saw you had some swelling and then it went away, there's a reason why it swelled in the first place. Don't really put it off. Acknowledge that sign that your body so graciously gave you and get it checked out because things can get really bad. And you don't want to leave it, you know, untreated. Are there any um, things generally uh, maybe best to be avoided in terms of eating or drinking just before or just after brushing teeth? Um, you know, I just, I like to brush my teeth after I eat some sweets. So sometimes I'll time it. Um, but I think if you're, you know, if you are like a high cariogenic bacteria kind of environment and you do have some extra fluoride, you just want to kind of give space between actually eating anything and even drinking water. 
So th- sometimes it's just going to be specific to what your regimen is as well. So that one's a hard one to answer, but no tacky stuff. How about that? But the- I'm and, a sticky and I candy. Guess, and I guess one of the things I had in mind, I know some people drink sort of like water with apple cider vinegar or with lemon juice. And and from what I know, they can be, they can a little abrasive. enamel kind of. They can. So you probably don't want to actually brush your teeth right away. Again, giving some space either before the brush or after the brush should, should do fine. And space would be 10 minutes? What kind of? I, I think 30 minutes is a good time, right? Okay. So as well, I mean, you're, you, so you've got your own practice, I believe. You, I do. About. Yeah. And how... How easy or difficult was it to, to set up on your own? Well, that was a huge challenge because you, you're only focusing on the clinical dentistry when you're in your dental school years. And they don't teach you anything about business. They don't teach you anything about leadership. I had no idea how to even send a dental insurance claim when I opened my practice let alone the construction piece, because I was a true startup. I, I found a piece of property. It was a shell. I had to figure out how I wanted to set it up. Luckily, there's like experts in the field. So there was somebody who could help me with the construction, really help me with the design of the flow of how I wanted things um, to be. Um, but that was step one. <laughs> and then I had to find a team. And then I had to learn how to manage the team, which was also interesting. Um, I've definitely evolved as a leader over the last 15 years of being in practice. I wasn't a very good leader at all until about 2016, where I feel like I hit my rock bottom. And now I feel like I have a really great team that really jives. And I can't tell you how much that helps me be a better practitioner. And a better healer for my patients. How do you see your business progressing in sort of five, ten years? So my business is kind of pivoting because I do more in the education space now. I I really felt like I had hit a ceiling in my practice, and I love treating patients, and I love you know providing that care. Like I'm a damn good endodontist, and I love doing it, but I also see that there's such an education gap in dentistry. And one of my biggest passions is making general dentists really understand our field in a way that they never thought that they could. And so that's where I spend a lot of my time. I kind of split my time between practicing in my practice and actually educating dentists to do better root canals. And and how do you do that? How do you go about the education So I created an online education platform all about endodontics for general dentists because they really are starved for this type of education and they really are capable of, of doing many root canals. So, um, yeah, that's kind of been my, my passion project over the past few years. If, um, well, we're going to, can change the subject slightly? A question that I always ask everyone and I've prepped you for this is. Is because I, I always find these answers fascinating. Is there a book that's moved you for any reason in your life at any point? Yeah, um, it's called A Return to You by Shannon Kaiser. It okay. is 
one of those that came late in my life as I wasn't a big reader when I was younger. Um, but as I'm growing up, I learned to read. I, I read a lot of self-help stuff, but this really, um, really hit home from just a spiritual place and the things that I was going through at the time with relationships with others and with myself and the, the type of spiritual and personal growth that I was really needing in that moment. Um, it's such a beautiful book. I, I highly recommend it. I feel like maybe women may appreciate it more than men, but um, it is really a lovely book to really understand yourself a little bit better. And is it a book you've come back to at any point? Have you read it like a sort of second time? I haven't yet. Okay. I haven't yet. If people want to find out more about you, where, where will they go? So I have a website called soniachopradds.com and Sonia with an I. I'm also on Instagram at Sonia Chopra DDS. Um, that, those are the two main places I hang out. I have a lot of um, free resources and um, fun dental blog all about root canals if that interests you. <laughs> There's some good stuff on there that's kind of, my intention was actually to just only talk to dentists with that blog, but I I can't believe how many patients I've organically attracted through that blog. So I know that more people want to hear about this topic, which is great. Oh, oh finally, Sonia, is there, um, do you have a quotation that you like? I think I said it earlier. Flossing is life. <laughs> okay. Don't forget to floss. <laughs> it really well, is life. <laughs> Sonia, I really appreciate you taking your time to, to, to help my audience with understanding how they should look after their mouths and their teeth a little bit more. So thank you. Thank you. Next week, episode 236 with Dr. Angela Holiday-Bell. And she's a board-certified physician and sleep specialist. And we discuss the importance of prioritizing sleep, overall health and well-being, including how lack of sleep is linked to chronic diseases like Alzheimer's. She provides science-based advice for improving sleep, such as maintaining a consistent wake-up time seven days a week, and limiting exposure to blue light from electronics before bedtime, avoiding large meals too close to bedtime, and establishing calming pre-bed routine. And we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, or known as CBTI, which is a very effective long-term treatment for people with severe health um, sleep problems. So that's next week, episode 236 with Dr. Angela Holiday-Bell. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Please leave us a review, share the podcast with anyone who might enjoy it, and hope you have a good week. <laughs>